to ask you to please join me in the uh, chanting of the refuges and the precept. Please repeat after me in the Pali scriptural language. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa 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 Namo Sexual misconduct. To refrain from sexual misconduct. 
undertake the precept to refrain from wrong speech. To refrain from wrong speech. I undertake the precept. I to refrain from intoxicants. To refrain from intoxicants that cause carelessness. That cause carelessness. I undertake the precept. I to refrain from sources of livelihood. To refrain from sources of livelihood that bring harm to other beings. I undertake the precept. I undertake the precept to refrain from acting out of ill will. To refrain from acting out of ill will. Or taking satisfaction in the misfortune of others. I undertake the precept. I undertake the precept. To be open-hearted and generous. To be open-hearted and generous. In all my relationships with others. In all my relationships with others. I undertake the precept. I undertake the precept. To act with loving kindness and compassion. In all my relationships with others. I undertake the precept. I undertake the precept. To live with mindfulness and follow the Eightfold Path. To live with mindfulness and follow the Eightfold Path. Through daily study, meditation, and reflection. With these ten precepts, virtue becomes the vehicle for a happy existence. Through virtue, good fortune is attained. Virtue is the vehicle for liberation. Let us purify our virtue. This completes the ten precepts. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from ill will. May all beings be free from ill will. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings make themselves truly happy. May all beings make themselves truly happy. Thank you very much. So good evening. And uh, how's your first day of whole day of retreat gone? Today. <laughs> it's that first day or two can often be a little bit difficult. Yeah. Hopefully it will be more satisfying tomorrow. Anyone else uh, have a comment on how their day was? Very happy. Very happy? Uh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Anything in particular that uh, is just 
the distractions you brought with you into the retreat? Uh, not actually the dis- distraction. I think uh, uh, afternoon was quite sleepy. Oh, sleepy. <laughs> yeah. But that's actually something that uh, is, is pretty common the first day or two as well. I think a lot of us are very busy. Maybe sometimes we don't get as much sleep as we need. And then you get in a retreat environment, you get physically and mentally relaxed. And, you know, just <laughs> your, your mind and your body just want to catch up on the rest they have in the beginning. <laughs> you were sleepy too? Mm-hmm. The other thing too is the afternoon is always uh, it's a time when everyone's energy level tends to be at their lowest. Uh, well, I shouldn't say everyone, most people. Most people's energy level is at their lowest in the afternoon. And so if you're going to have a problem with sleepiness, that's very often when it will be. Any questions about the practice? Well, yes. How come, how come when, when I'm sleepy and when I have, like what you said, the unification of the mind, this like, enormous amount of energy, I can go from extremely sleepy mm-hmm. to extremely alert. How, how, come, how come there's so much energy in the mind? I, I mean, if, if I'm not a Buddhist, I'll probably think that God gave me some kind of special power. <laughs> well, I don't know, exactly know how to answer that, but I'm not sure you expected a specific answer. Um, I, it's an opportunity, though, to point out that uh, sleepiness, there really are two kinds. There's the kind that is, has more to do with fatigue, and then the kind that has more to do with just uh, uh, letting yourself fall into a low energy state and not being highly motivated, or sometimes even with having uh, resistance. You know, So I, I think that uh, most of the time, we probably have a lot more energy available to us than uh, we make use of and that we recognize, you know. And I, I think the evidence of that is, is, as you know, when you do a practice like Qigong, you, you become aware that there's a lot more energy there. And meditation is the same way, that when you, when you bring about that unification of mind, the energy that was there that wasn't maybe uh, so accessible becomes accessible. They're like polar opposites. You know, I, you know I, I went from extremely sleepy mm-hmm. to, to extremely alert within a matter of maybe one minute. Yeah, very yeah. good. It's very weird. And yeah, yeah it, 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 I, I, just, I just don't understand how come there's so much energy hidden somewhere. Mm-hmm. When, when I, yeah. Does that happen to you often? When uh, yeah. Yeah, but but the more it's a, it, it, uh, the more I want to be alert, actually, it creates more sluggishness because I, I'm not going to get it through a lot of desire. So so that's kind of like the the problem I'm sure a lot of people would have. Yes. Well, I think 
What may be a fairly common experience for everyone is uh, on those times when you have a lot of uh, dullness and, and sort of sluggishness, that if you're just patient with it and you just keep bringing yourself out of it and bringing yourself out of it, that it's exactly that, that it's just all of a sudden you'll be wide awake and you'll be fine after that. So. I feel like the Zappa power, it, it didn't, it, it's not gradual. It's like synergy. That happens pretty quickly. <laughs> right? yeah. Well, physical, physiologically, uh, the activation of the brain, you know, there's, there's nerve cells in your brain stem that activate your cortex. And probably physiologically, uh, that's what's happening when you suddenly become awake like that, is, is uh, your, your brain is becoming strongly stimulated. But that doesn't really tell you why it happens. <laughs> well, every time I let go, yeah, it's like if I want to be more alert, that, that means ten, I tend to have more more craving, mm-hmm. and then that never works for me. I, I just have more misery and I just get more sluggish. Because the thing is, if I just let go, if, if I just keep letting go, letting go, letting go, and then this energy just comes suddenly from nowhere, and it's very blissful too. Yeah, well, that that phrase "letting go" that covers a lot of things. Well, I'm glad you found the way to let go, <laughs> let go and wake up. So. Well, I'll just talk a little bit more about extending your practice from the periods of sitting and walking. Some of you are already very familiar with this, but some of you may not have heard it before. I did make reference last night to the fact that what I'd like you to do is to try to practice continuously from when you wake up till uh, when you go to sleep. And so in order to understand how to do that, well, what we need to do is is to look at exactly what we're doing when we're doing the formal practices. You know, you are when you are awake and you're conscious, and you're conscious of something. What you're conscious of can be of many kinds, and as we made reference to earlier today. Sometimes we can be multitasking and be uh, a little, sort of conscious of a number of different things at once that we're juggling in our minds. But all of this practice is about bringing the full power of uh, uh, our conscious awareness on to whatever we're happening to do or, or whatever we're happening to experience in the present moment. Uh, and the doing part of it is really nothing more than the intentions that our mind forms. And what we experience is what we experience through the senses and through the activities of our minds. So, of course, when you're sitting, you have chosen the sensations of the breath as the object to keep returning your attention to. And when you're doing walking meditation, 
It's the process of walking that you return your attention to. And both of these are things that are happening in the present, and they involve sensations in the body. Uh, Walking involves some conscious intention because you have to make some decisions about where to walk and how fast and when to stop and when to turn around and so forth. The sitting, on the other hand, is much more passive. But the essence of the practice is that whatever your attention is directed towards, whatever you're taking as object of your conscious awareness, has been uh, chosen, it's deliberate, it's an act of intention that determines what you're paying attention to. And then you're trying to be as fully conscious of it as you can in the moment. So you're trying to be uh, as, as fully aware of, of the breath or as fully aware of uh, the uh, matter of, of walking as you can. So you can carry this over into all of your other activities, no matter what you're doing or, or where you are. Um, you are going to be experiencing things through your senses. If you are doing something, there's going to be intention followed by action. And so, for example, uh, something as simple as uh, opening the door. You know, there is the intention to uh, raise the hand, grasp the knob, turn it, and open the door. So. What I'm asking you to do, excuse me, is to do that with full awareness. That, well, at the very least, be aware of the action and be aware of the sensations. If you grab the doorknob, you feel the sensations of grasping it in your hand and the resistance as you turn it. So be aware of the experience as it unfolds. But I'm also asking you to, as you as you get more skilled at this, to try to be aware of the intention arising in your mind to do something and uh, and the intention behind each part of the actions that lead to you actually doing that. Not in, a, not in an intense and stressful way, but just in a way of being fully present. Okay, I'm sitting here and there is no intention to get up. And then at some point, an intention comes to get up. And just to be present enough that you're aware when that intention comes. And then there are the actions that follow upon that. Then after you get up, you may need to put on your shoes. Do that with full awareness. When you're eating. Uh, Eating is a wonderful meditation. It involves so many things that you can uh, just be mindful of as you're doing them. When you serve yourself food, there's all these decisions that you make that you're not fully aware of. As a matter of fact, quite often, you may serve yourself a plate of food while you're thinking of something completely different and you're totally lacking in conscious awareness. But nevertheless, if we were able to examine the process carefully, uh, we would discover that there are some dishes that you like more than others or that you prefer more than others uh, for some reason or another. Perhaps you consider them more healthy but desire, more desirable and less desirable. And then there is the uh, uh, 
amount of appetite you have, and so forth. So there are a lot of decisions as to how much you're going to take of each thing. And you can do that with full mindfulness, and you can actually observe that, oh, I like this, there I am taking an extra spoonful because I, this is one of my favorite things, and uh, there's something else that I don't like so much, and I'm taking just a little bit of it, you know, or whatever. You just be aware of the, of the processes that go on in your mind all of the time. And then as you're, as you're eating, we can often eat a whole meal and hardly taste anything. But on the other hand, you can make eating into a meditation. Uh, you can, the awareness that you're holding the chopsticks or the fork or the spoon or whatever it is, aware of, of them in your hand and aware of selecting the food and transferring it to your mouth and the contact with your lips and tongue. And then the process of chewing. Pay attention to what happens as you chew, the different flavors that become available uh, in the process of chewing. And uh, the flavor of the food changes as you chew it. And it also tastes different in different parts of your mouth. And then you may notice as it becomes somewhat chewed and uh, and it goes to the back of your mouth and an urge to swallow arises. And so you swallow. You may notice that almost as soon as the urge to swallow arises and is taking place, there's the urge to take another bite that happens, you know, to And so there, there's so much to be aware of. And of course, if the food is good, then it can be a very, uh, very delightful meditation too. But in this way, you're always practicing. And so when you come back to sit down, it's not like your mind is scattered everywhere and now you've got to gather it all back in. And likewise, you've been practicing awareness. You've been, uh, you, you've been being mindful and practicing awareness. So when you sit down, it's not like you need to drag yourself out, uh, drag yourself up out of some dullness that you have sunk into, or out of some lostness in uh, mind wandering and thinking. So uh, what I want you to do is try to stay fully present and be aware of those things that you experience both mentally and physically and then likewise of the intentions and the motivations that arise in association with them. Your daily activities are in some ways a richer source of insight than just sitting or just walking because your desires and your aversions as motivations for the intentions that arise make themselves manifest and you have the opportunity to see them in action. And likewise, you can see your mind's reaction to things. That an experience, uh, common everyday experience is repeated all the time. Some are more satisfying and some are less satisfying. Some produce a reaction of disappointment and annoyance. Some produce a reaction of of, uh, pleasure and satisfaction. And so you can be aware of this working of of your mind. And it's all part of staying present. So this this is how I'd like you to practice uh, all day, every day, everything you're doing. Brushing your teeth, getting getting dressed, um, whatever task you have, if you're sweeping the floor or Uh, whatever it happens to be, uh, bathing, going to the bathroom. Just practice being aware of what's actually taking place in the present moment.
what's making up the story of your life, so to speak. So, please do that. You'll find it very, very helpful during the retreat. It will, it will maximize the benefit you get out of the formal practice periods if you don't let your mind get all scattered into either dullness or distraction uh, in between. And, uh, as I say, it should be in a relaxed way. You're just being present, and there is so much in the experience of the present moment that is interesting and enjoyable. It's not like some onerous task. It's not like some unpleasant thing that I'm I'm asking you to do, or something that's going to leave you exhausted and feeling like, oh, I need a uh, relief from this. And as a matter of fact, if you have any of that sense, either in formal practice or outside of it, we should talk about it. Have any of you had the experience today that does a thought come into your mind that your meditation was difficult or hard? No? Oh, good. That's very good. That's very good. You you guys are really great. Can you repeat that question again? Have you had any? I'm still thinking about your question. In any thoughts, uh, in any part of your experience of meditating during the day where you were regarding it as, oh, this is hard or this is difficult? Uh, oh, I'd like to take a rest, take a break from this or something. Oh, okay. yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that is very, very good because, you know, that is one of the biggest problems that most people have when they meditate is they make it hard. They make it difficult. Because rather than, because all you have to do is so simple. All you have to do is, is when you're aware that your attention is not where you want it to be, is to redirect it, to shift it, and to move it. You know, and tell me, what is easier, moving your attention and moving your arm? You know? Your attention weighs nothing at all. <laughs> what does happen, though, uh, is that we end up some part of our mind wanting to do something else, craving some other kind of pleasure or satisfaction or uh, stimulation. And then if there's a hardness or a difficulty to meditation, it is to do entirely with that inner struggle between some part of you that would like to go have a nap or read a book instead of sit and uh, practice meditation. Is that not right? But the actual process itself is very, very simple. Uh, and when you see, when you see that uh, there are multiple inclinations and multiple intentions arising in your mind, then this is something to get excited about. Look at your mind, and the, what should happen is, aha! What is this? this what exactly is going on in this mind of mine? Look at it and see where it comes from. Without judging. You see, if you judge, you can't, you can't see what's happening. If your reaction is, is oh, what's wrong with me? How, how come I'm having these thoughts and these urges instead of you know, wanting to practice? It's, it's like a, a, a curtain comes down and you can't see what's happening in your mind. But if you're just open to it, 
without judgment. And it's like, ah, this is what my mind is doing. This is how my mind is reacting. This is where insight comes from. The practice that we're doing is to develop uh, concentration and mindful awareness, and the purpose of that is to gain insight. And the insight is available to you at all times. It's available to you from the moment that you sit down. It's not that you have to sit down for a certain number of months or years first before you begin to have insight. And it's not as though you have to have a certain amount of concentration and mindful awareness to begin to have insight. The opportunity is there. As soon as you direct your attention to what's actually going on in your mind and what's actually making up your experience in the moment. And uh, I think maybe what I should do right now is point out to you the insights that you can be looking for, the kinds of insights that can be arising very immediately. What it it says in the traditional Buddhist scriptures about insights is that the beginning of insight is the purification of view. And what that means is beginning to view the nature of your existence as it really is and not as we usually imagine it to be. And this is something that is very simple and that the meditation uh, leads you to see and experience clearly right away. What your existence up to this moment has consisted of is a sequence of conscious experiences. Is that not true? Your whole life. Your life has been a series of conscious experiences, conscious, constantly changing. The object of which you're aware is constantly changing, but we can describe it that way. Now, you might say that, well, there's a lot, there's a lot more to that. I'm out there doing a lot of things, too. But that, too, in its nature, is uh, experience that uh, follows one upon another. So, for example, a fly lands on your arm. And you have you, you feel the sensation of the fly on your arm, and uh, that results in a feeling of disliking of having the fly there, and that in turn causes you to have the natural desire for the fly not to be there, and so very very quickly and very automatically comes the intention to, with your other hand, brush that fly away. What happens then is you have, if you're lucky, you have an experience that corresponds to the intention. You have, you experience the sensations in the muscles and tendons of your arm as, as, you, as, as it goes over there and, and the fly goes away. 
course, that does, it doesn't always happen that way, right? Sometimes we intend something, we intend to pick something up, and the experience we have is we feel the arm moving out, and then we feel the back of the hand striking the glass and knocking it over instead of the front of the fingers wrapping around it. But our experience is the arising of an intention and then the arising of the sensations that correspond to the action. We didn't really... You don't really do these things. You just have the intention and your body follows out and carries out that intention. Your entire life has been a a sequence of experiences. Um, And if we look at the component of those experiences... Every experience in this stream, in this sequence that's made up your life, has had similar components to it. There's been, of course, the element of consciousness that's there. And then there has been uh, the object that you're conscious of in the moment. And then there has been uh, some sort of feeling of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then there has been some sort of perception, uh, which is the way that we identify and recognize things. When a sensation occurs, uh, when, when an image is formed in our eye, what happens immediately is that we recognize it as an object. Or when we hear a sound, our, our mind immediately puts a label on that sound. Uh, and, and, and tells us what its meaning is. And so that's our perception. Our perception is, is what, how, how we identify what it is we're experiencing. And so it is really sort of the, uh, the kernel of the ex- experience itself. Where those perceptions come from is all of the stored information that we have from our accumulated past experience. Right? All the concepts we have and the memories and the previous experience. So that a sensation arises, the mind immediately, on the basis of that stored past experience, calls forth the idea of what it is and, and, and it creates the uh, reality that we find ourselves in, in in that moment. We find ourselves hearing the bird or feeling a fly on the hand, or so on and so forth. Just think about that, and I want you to do your best to find some objection to this particular description of uh, your existence as a series of experiences. Does this encompass the thoughts that you have? Or your emotional experiences? Mm-hmm. I agree, it does. Uh, I only refer to sensations like hearing and uh, seeing. But we say that there are six senses. So in addition to the five physical senses, there is the mind acting as a sense directly that is aware of our thoughts our memories, uh, our imaginations, uh, and our emotions. 
So your life is a series of sense experiences, mental experiences, which make some kind of sense out of the sensory experience. Uh, another uh, uh, another kind of mental formation that comes up is our emotional reaction, our feeling of whether we like something or don't like something, and then our emotional reaction, we're happy or we're unhappy, or uh, uh, we, uh, we have desire or aversion. And then out of that comes an intention. That's another kind of experience. And then as a result of the intention comes the sensations that follow out of whatever actions that come. So just take a minute and, and, and make sure that uh, you agree with that as a, as a more accurate view of what your, uh, what your life consists of than maybe what you're used to thinking. When we sit and meditate with our eyes closed, it begins to become more obvious that this is, in fact, the way things are. And uh, I'll say a little bit about why closing the eyes and sitting still has so much to do with that. But uh, I just want to point out here, just to remind you of the experience that you've had, When you sit for a period of time, during that period, what what happens is there are various there are various sounds. And to the degree that your mind goes to those, it will label them and recognize them. And uh, so you'll, you'll have the experience of hearing a sound, labeling the sound, recognizing it as something, right? And you have a continuous stream of sensations coming from your body. So as you're sitting there, you have a sensation of being in a body. But sometimes when you're sitting very still for a long time, does that sort of fade from your awareness and you're not quite so aware of your body? Or sometimes the perception of your body can be a little bit distorted. But it's all coming from these sensations. When your eyes are open, it seems like it's more than that. But when your eyes are closed, you realize this body awareness is just a collection of sensations. And in your mind, as you sit and meditate, you may feel you may feel very tranquil and pleased. Uh, your, your mind may be agitated and you may have a feeling of annoyance or impatience because of it. 
but you're just having experiences that arise in sequence, one after another. And they're all causally connected to each other, too. We talked about an intention arises and then you experience the sensations as a result of the action that the body performs. And we talked about you have a sensation and that's a physical sensation and it immediately produces a mental reaction that uh, is a, a concept that identifies what that sensation is. Right? So physical sensations produce the arising of mental objects of awareness. And mental objects of awareness, like feelings and emotions, give rise to intentions, they give rise to actions, they give rise to physical sensations. So this stream of experiences that you have is causally connected. So that's the beginning of right view. of purification of you. And in your meditation, well, you may have noticed, but if you haven't, if we can take all of the different things that you experience, how many different kinds of things are there that you have experienced in your lifetime? Hmm? A myriad. A myriad, yes. Is there some way that we can take this seemingly infinite number of experiences and break them down into some manageable, a smaller number of manageable categories that will allow us to examine the nature of our life experience. Yes. Yeah. Would you like to suggest what that is? Uh, uh, Fear, uh, anger, greed. Those are emotions. Mm-hmm. Insecurities. So, are you talking about emotions? Or I'm talking about every out of all of the different kinds of, you know, how many things have you experienced since you were born? Um, well, it's just a range of, you know, cal- you know, of things that you can categorize, like cold, hot, mm-hmm. um, pleasant, unpleasant, etc. Well, you know, the way that I think most of us, uh, we we've been taught, or we recognize ourselves that there's a tendency to divide all the things we experience into the category of those things which are physical in some way, matter, and then those things that are mental, right? That, that we experience internally. So that's one way that you can categorize you. Your life has been a series of experiences of material objects in one way or another and mental objects. Uh, one kind or another. And, uh, you know, mind and matter, body and mind, inner and outer. This is a kind of natural way that comes to the mind of, of dividing up uh, experience and dividing up reality. Let's look at the material part of it. Let's examine it. Okay. Do you see this object? Yes. What do you really see? What's really happening here? Well, light from these light bulbs is shining down on this. 
and bouncing off into your eye, right? It's, so, really your eye is seeing light rays that have bounced off this object. But you didn't have any problem at all responding, do you see this object? Do you really see this object? No. You see, you, you, you don't. Your eye sees light rays that come off of this object. That's really what happens. You know, and if I did it just right, I could probably take a photograph of this thing. And if, if everything was done carefully enough, uh, you probably couldn't tell that it was a photograph. Because as long as the light rays that arrive in your eye uh, arrive in just the right way, you wouldn't be able to, to make that kind of distinction, right? Uh, now tell me, do you actually see the light rays? I don't know how much you know about the way your eye works, but the retina of your eye has cells with a chemical in them, and when the light rays strike the chemical, the chemical breaks down, and that causes an electrical impulse to go to the brain. So do you see the light rays coming from this? Maybe you just see the electrical impulses going from the retina of your eye into your brain. So, do you see these electrical impulses? <laughs> and once those electrical impulses get into the brain they just stimulate other brain cells and where does the seeing of this occur? it's in your mind yes, right it occurs in your mind but because you have been using your eyes and your other senses in this way all your life, your mind automatically, when it sees the nerve impulses coming in from the eye, it puts it together with a lot of other information. Like, uh, I'm holding this up now, but you have seen things similar to this. And perhaps you've seen this from different directions. And perhaps you touched it with your hand uh, and you have other experience. So when I hold it up, instead of just the nerve impulses, instead of even just the light rays, you have this whole experience. You, you kind of know what this feels like and what it's made out of. And, and that this, is all, this is all coming from your collected experience in your life. But although this is a material object, your experience of it, at least at this distance, is just through your eyes. Now, if you're holding it the way I am, now, I'm able to combine the sensations from my fingers with the sensations from my eyes. But if I close my eyes, the only thing I know about it is, is what, what the receptors in my skin tell me. I can discern shape and so forth. Do you know anything at all about the material world, or do you only know what your senses deliver to your mind? So you, your mind has made up a story to explain all of your sensations. So the experiences you've had in your whole life uh, are all 
one one part of it is that, that you would have labeled a few minutes ago experiencing material objects. You can now uh, just uh, relabel that sensations. Five kinds of physical sensations have been arriving in your mind. And I'll point out to you that they've all arrived in the same form as electrical impulses flying along nerves. You know, it's electrical impulses from your eye, but the same thing from your tongue when you eat, taste, it's still electrical impulses. But the way we experience that is as five different kinds of physical senses. So in terms of what makes up the totality of objects of our experience in a lifetime, we have five different kinds, five different categories of sensations, and then mental objects. The sixth sense is the mental sense. Let's think about that one a little bit. What are the mental objects? What are the things that you know directly, that you experience directly by means of your mind? Thoughts? Memories. Memories? And what form do memories take? Life experience happens before. Uh, okay, you, you, uh, you see this and uh, you can, you know, if I, I, you can remember seeing it, right? And you can call forth a mental image. It's not the same as actually seeing it, though, right? But it is a mental image. And the same thing, there's sounds. You can remember sounds. Um, So there are mental counterparts to sensory experiences that are stored in our minds as memories. So that's one kind of mental object. Another kind would be a thought. We know thoughts directly. How do you usually experience thoughts? Language. It's like hearing a voice. That's one way of experiencing thoughts. It's like hearing a voice. But it's not the only way. Sometimes we can we can think in images, mm-hmm. or sometimes it can be uh, a thought can take the form of imagining an, an action or a sensation. You know. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, if the sometimes a thought will come into my mind that I need to make a phone call, and sometimes it might be a voice that says, "Oh, I need to make a phone call." But sometimes it'll just be uh, sort of the feeling of, of what it's like to pick up the phone, and and that's that's the form the thought takes. But it mimics the senses. But yeah, thoughts, concepts, abstract kind of concepts. We have we have those. Emotions, mental objects is emotions. Feelings of, of, uh, of pleasant and unpleasant. And dreams, too. Hmm? And dreams. And in dreams, yeah. yeah. In dreams, we have very vivid projections of uh, physical sensations, right? Yeah, sometimes it's hard to distinguish dreams from reality. Yeah, while you're in the dream, you take it for granted that it is real. Yeah, and there was one time I, I, did, I did a test, I tried to pinch myself, and I felt the pain. I was like, what the? So I thought, okay, it must be real. But then I woke up. <laughs> 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 
dreams are a very interesting thing because these are mental experiences that can they can they, they aren't always of course I don't know about you but my dreams some dreams I'm, I'm amazed that that I could be fooled into thinking it was something really... As a matter of fact, a lot of times in my dreams I'm not. I know this is a dream. But there are other times when it's so vivid that, you know, like your dream there, that, that you, you know, is, is it real? You, you're, you're either... You re, you either totally buy into it, you believe it's real in your dream, or if you're aware that you're dreaming, you're really puzzled, or I'm not sure it's a dream or I'm not. <laughs> That's so vivid. But it's purely it's purely a mental experience, isn't it? Anyway, these are the two the two kinds of things that give rise to our experience are sensations of the five senses and then all these different kinds of mental objects. So now speaking in terms of insight, uh, what the, the understanding that the Buddha arrived at that liberated him, that, that led to his awakening, his enlightenment, his aha, so that's the way everything really is. It involved, first of all, a shift in view. And this is absolutely crucial because none of the rest of it can come until you have that. That's why this is the first of the insights. Uh, the first step in the process of insight is purification of you. The, what we normally think of, the way it's different than what we just described, is that there is a real world out there that we're experiencing with our senses, and then there is our inner world, our mental world, our mind, that is separate from them. And don't you normally take it for granted that that world out there exists exactly the way you think it does even when you're not paying attention to it? You know, I don't know where you parked your car, but don't you feel certain that it still exists (laughs) in exactly that spot? Of course, you're very surprised if you go back out and it's gone. It's like, whoa. <laughs> but, yeah, we take it for granted. And our normal view is that there is a world of self-existent, substantial, real objects, independent of us. And then there is the inner world of our mind, which is also substantial and real from its own side and separate from the world out there. So we're moving to a much more accurate view of things. You know, we're being more scientific in this when we say, well, whatever may be out there, it isn't necessarily the way my mind is imagining it to be. It's all I really know is that it produces these kinds of sensations and my mind has constructed a way that I believe the world is to account for those sensations, and mostly it works pretty well. So, in your meditation, 
if you can take advantage of the fact that it's easier to recognize that while you sit there or while you're walking, you're having a stream of experiences unfolding one after another. A sensation arises and it passes away. A concept arises and it passes away. A thought arises and it passes away. An intention arises and it passes away. The more clearly you can see and understand that, then when you get up from your meditation you go out into the world, the more clearly and easy, easily you'll be able to recognize that this is what's taking place all of the time. And so this is a step towards understanding things as they are. Now the Buddha, he examined himself and everyone else and he said, well, I find only these five things that constitute me as an individual. Uh, And they are sensations, feelings. And by feelings he meant just simply the pleasantness, unpleasantness, or, or neutralness of an experience. My perceptions, and that's what my mind makes out of a sensation. Uh, and then all the mental formations that are stored in my mind. And then my consciousness. Those are the five things that make me up. Now the next part of insight is to satisfy yourself that that indeed does account for everything that you are, that there's nothing left out of that, that there's not something else. And so I encourage you to look for, and just uh, have it in mind that if there's something else that's not covered by these five, that you want to notice it. Okay? You want to you want to pick up on it. By doing that, you will gradually become uh, it will become very very clear in your mind that in fact that is all there is. That these five aggregates or these five skandhas do accurately uh, uh, include everything that makes you up. Now, the reason this is important is because, you know, along with thinking that there's a world out there and a mind in here, we feel like we are a self, that we have a self, that there is some, that there is something about us. We feel like uh, there is an experiencer behind all of these experiences, that there is a doer behind all of these things that we do. And uh, won't be able to, the times up tonight, won't be able to go into that any further. But the problems that we have, the, uh, the suffering that we have, is very much related to this view that we hold that we have a self that is distinct and separate from everything else. And we can talk more about that tomorrow and about how to approach those insights. Um, so, um, any questions or comments about what I've described to you here? You're
you're, you know, you're a very silent group. Even the ones that aren't usually silent are silent tonight. <laughs> well, maybe the things that I'm telling you, you've already thought about and experienced and you're completely familiar with. And I know that's true of, of some of you, and maybe it's true of all of you. That's very good. Yeah. Well, I mentioned in the last retreat, you said, uh, you know, we all have a, a Buddha nature, this kind of thing. What's that? The Buddha nature. The Buddha nature, yeah. Is that Buddha nature not belong to these five categories? Uh, well, what it, it would uh, what what do you, what is Buddha nature? What does it belong to? This is an important question because, yeah, if you think of a Buddha nature, then there's a tendency, a very easy tendency, to make that Buddha nature into a kind of a self. My Buddha nature is myself. But the Buddha nature, if those, if the, if those, those five categories do include everything, then they must include the Buddha nature as well, in some sense. So the Buddha nature actually is um, that our view has been purified mm-hmm. and it kind of like shows up. Yeah. That's right. As our views become purified, we come to uh, we come to understand the Buddha nature. And you see, here here's the key to it, Jackie, is that It is, the, it is not that you have a Buddha nature and that I have a Buddha nature. There is only the Buddha nature. And the Buddha nature is actually the same as emptiness. And so all of these five aggregates, their nature is emptiness. And so that's uh, the Buddha nature is, is their emptiness. Easy to say, not not so easy to understand. But that is that's actually exactly where we're going. The whole as the progress of insight continues, we go from recognizing that there is no soul, no separate, indestructible, permanent self. There are just these five aggregates, which in itself can seem like a rather despairing discovery, like, you know, and you have to be careful not to slip in. You know, we, we, would, we, we would like to have uh, some, a, a kind of philosophy called eternalism be true, that we have this, this, this perfect, self-existent, permanent, abiding self that, that if we only try hard enough, we'll discover our own true self. And that's called eternalism, and that's one of the wrong views that the Buddha is trying to guide us away from. And the other wrong view, which we can easily, when we abandon that one, we tend to, you know, it's like when, uh, as soon as we start not falling off one side of the log, we tip over too far and start to fall off the other side, is uh, nihilism, materialistic nihilism, that these five skandhas, that's all there is. There's nothing else, and, you know, nothing has... Uh, 
there's no meaning and and that and uh, so what we're going to try to do is to discover the Buddha nature, to discover the emptiness and discover the significance of the emptiness that all of these five skandhas are. Yeah. So if that uh, could I do this kind of understanding, if the five aggregates, if I examine each one of that and uh, if I'm now quest quest that has a solid and, and I see the the the, the um, empty nature Mm-hmm. Then I can, uh, uh, I shouldn't say get rid of, but, but I will understand what is a no self. That's right. Yeah. Right. So, so, yeah. so if I still have a sense of self, then I, I should focus on this five aggregate and accept that clearly mm-hmm. again. Then I can understand that it's no self. That's right. Yes. Okay. And in your meditation, you can do this. In your meditation, you can examine the mental formations as they arise and pass away. The, one of the kinds of objects of consciousness that we can take are, are mental objects. And so we can take the mental formations as objects and we can examine concepts, emotions, feelings, uh, ideas, thoughts, and uh, observe their arising and passing away, and we can discover their emptiness. Uh, We can see that, we can examine the aggregates, we can examine sensations, and discover their emptiness. Yeah, but my uh, situation is that it's compelled. It's a little bit easier for me to do the sitting meditate Mm -hmm. and examine that. And I see the uh, obstacle or, 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 or hindrance I, I experience is when I open eyes and engage yeah. daily activities right. and the habitual patterns and, and draw me mm-hmm. into the reaction and yes. and I couldn't couldn't uh, see or, or, or will in the right moment maybe mm-hmm. later on mm-hmm. but in the right moment I just yes. just uh, so so your thinking is that. Practice, even though uh, the moment still see that five uh, aggregates still. Yes. What what the result of your practice will be as you begin to, uh, as you can clearly perceive the emptiness of these five aggregates more and more often, then your inner view changes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's what's important. Uh, you know how it is that things can seem one way and, and intuitively we're convinced that it's a particular way but through uh, intellectual analysis it can be pointed out that things are not that this thing is not the way it appears to be at all but that doesn't keep us from still perceiving it in that way so what we need to do with regard to uh, our experience of things in the world is to change that way that we intuitively perceive things so that we intuitively recognize the emptiness of things. Mm-hmm. So long as, you know, it, it, it's not enough to understand the emptiness intellectually and it's not even enough to be able to recognize the emptiness in meditation, although that's, that's a huge step forward. That's a tremendous success to be able to recognize the emptiness of things in meditation. But the ultimate challenge 
is to recognize the emptiness of things while you're busy doing things in the world, interacting with people, things are happening, you're talking, answering the phone, walking, shopping, working. So from your talking, I kind of uh, understand this, uh, please correct me, is if I, in the daily activity, I still find out I'm drawn into the impulsive and, and, and uh, you know, that kind of habitual pattern, then that's mean indicate I can go deeper during the sitting, uh, sitting meditate and uh, examine more, even more uh, subtle way about uh, the, the emptiness and, and all the things. Because the more I, I can get into uh, deep emerge that, that emptiness though thing, then at daily activities, I don't even need to make effort. You know, it's the way. Okay. Yeah, it becomes easy. But before that, what will happen that when when you directly perceive the emptiness of yourself and of things, it will make something change in your mind. So that even though you may still not necessarily uh, always be able to recognize the emptiness of things, it will change the way that your mind reacts to things. And it will tremendously reduce the amount of suffering, the amount of desire, and the amount of ill will that you experience as a part of your life. Uh, this is mostly the result of not understanding the emptiness of phenomena, the emptiness of things. But that magical transformation happens when you understand the emptiness of self. And that's, that's what, uh, as I say, is going to have to wait till tomorrow night to continue talking about this. But the, our suffering is the result of craving, desire, and aversion, wanting things to be different than they are. But the only reason that we have craving, desire, and aversion is because we cling to this view of a self, a separate self. And so, when we have the experience of the emptiness of self, then that immediately changes something in our mind. Our mind may still have the habit of desire and a habit of aversion and a habit of craving. And it may have a habit of suffering, but it no longer has the root cause of those things arising. And so then, uh, that produces a powerful transformation. And, but yes, there's still more work to be done, more work to be done, and as long as, as long as a conditioned habit of saying things and, uh, and reacting to things in that way is still present. Okay, well, that's, a, that's enough for tonight. We're going to sit. So, uh, but you've been already sitting for a long time. Please take a few minutes to stretch. Um, say we'll take uh, five minutes for you to stretch. And when you've done so, uh, please sit down.